0: The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC registered investment advisor.
1: We do Investing Simplified. Welcome into Investing Simplified. Thank you for joining us and thank you for making us a part of your day. I'm Bo Caldwell, CFP CEO here at Price. Financial Group, and I'm so glad to be back with you all. It's been a little while since I've been here in the studio. I know Matt and Matt have been holding it down quite well. I do listen to those shows. I do hear uh, what they have said and what they're talking about. Hopefully you know they continue to talk nice about me rather than talking too much smack, but I'm, I'm in here by myself today uh, coming at you talking about some items. We've got some issues that clients have raised, some questions that we are getting, as well as a case study you know, later here in the show just kind of showing a little bit about what we do and how we, you know, have helped folks to take the gray, you know, out of their retirement planning, their financial lives and make it a little more black and white for them, right? The idea is to give you an idea of how you can get to your financial goals and do our best to help you get there, right? Nothing in this life is guaranteed. Nothing in investing certainly is guaranteed, right? When we talk about retirement planning and investing and the different ways that you can invest, but the only thing I guess that you could say is guaranteed, right, is, that is death and taxes, right? That's oftentimes what I talk about with clients is it's death and taxes. That's what's guaranteed. Or the other piece is the market will go up at some point, and the market will go down at some point, and the market will stay flat at some point. Those are kind of the pieces that you can really count on when it comes to investing. And one of the questions that I've been getting a lot As we begin this year, you know, this 2023, hopefully on a much better note than we began 2022, right? 2022 was the worst start to a year in recent memory, and it feels like it's actually the worst year. You know, our drawdown in the bond market particularly was even worse than 2008. So if you're a conservative investor or someone who is approaching retirement or in retirement or just really, you know, doesn't really like risk or volatility, right, generally in the last. 30 to 40 years, bonds have been a place that you've gone to be safe, or relatively safe, right? To feel like you're going to have less volatility than the stock market. And it is true, historically speaking, bonds are less volatile than stocks. Except in 2022, they were just about as volatile, and they moved in tandem, in lockstep with stocks, it seemed like. They were down and stocks were down, and usually that's not how it's worked in the past, right? So your 60-40 portfolio... As you often hear, a lot of people will say, you know, 60-40 portfolio, the, the bo- Bogleheads, so uh, you know, the Jack Bogle followers, the folks that, that you know, believe in the, the thought process that you don't need to be actively investing, just be passively investing. Have 60% of your money in stocks in the S&P 500 and 40% of your money in Barclays aggregate, right? Or it used to be called the layman. Ad- aggregate, just so we're clear, that that index that is now called Barclays Ag that everybody uses as a proxy for for the bond market, people forget that that you know index was run by Lehman Brothers. Oh, whoops. So when you're looking at that sixty forty portfolio, it had the worst year, right, the worst performance last year than it even than it did in two thousand eight. That's crazy, right? Now that doesn't mean that necessarily you did that if you were invested that way because maybe you were a little bit more active, maybe you weren't exactly just 60, 40 S&P and Barclays Ag. Or if you were working with a team like ours, you know, potentially you had a little bit less drawdown, maybe, if we had, you know, prepared you and gone based on your risk tolerance and been a little bit less volatile. That's our goal, right? Our goal is always to be a little bit less volatile than the overall market and get you to where you're trying to go. Now, our goal is never to make you rich, right? It's to make sure that you can retire on your own terms. But in one piece of that that we believe, right, we believe that some of our money needs to be for our clients, needs to be invested in the stock market. And so that behooves the question, where do you go right now, right? And I know Matt May talks a lot about, you know, pieces in the market that he finds opportunity in, places where he likes and that's key, right? That's big pieces, looking at the macroeconomic data. But really, it's also analyzing this you know, microeconomic data where you look at, okay, what specifically about this company makes it more accessible? And that's where you have a team like ours right, to help build out that portfolio for you and figuring out where the pieces fit, right? Maybe it's some real estate. Maybe it's some stocks. Maybe it's some bonds. Maybe it's a combination of all these things, right? And so one of the things that we look at when we look at that, is the potential for a recession. And the consensus view, right, is that a recession is coming this year, and I think it is. I agree with the consensus, although, interestingly enough, oftentimes it certainly seems when everybody is saying one thing, everybody's usually wrong, right? Once once everybody's on board, it, it feels like once the market is bottoming, that's when everybody's going, okay, it's time to sell. We're, we're, we're getting out, and that's, that's traditionally called capitulation, right? And usually when the market, you know, jumps, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be invested because we do truly believe it's not timing the market; it's time in the market. Now, that doesn't mean you put all your eggs in one basket and buy one particular stock right now just because it's down, right? Because I get that question a lot: Hey, should I put all my money in Tesla because it's down? Should I put all my money in Apple because it's way down? Well, uh, you know, generally speaking, the rule of thumb is no: you should never put all of your money in anything. But it doesn't necessarily even mean that it's a good time to buy. What really means to me is that maybe there is opportunity depending on your specific situation and your time frame, right? So anybody that's in their 20s or 30s or even 40s that's you know participating in a 401k should be overjoyed, I think, about the market going down because they are getting money deposited every two weeks most of the time, maybe every week or maybe every month when they're doing their contributions to their 401k and you're buying on sale because it is my belief that and historically speaking it has been true that over time you're going to be better off by saving more money in the market when the market's down and over time you will win now that doesn't mean it'll happen because you know there could there is always the possibility that the market is down 30 years from now that from where it is now it also is the possibility that we are in a situation which i know there are a good amount of economists that i follow that are feeling this pain and that is that we are in a flat market for the next 10 to 15 years and people will say, "Well, that that never happens, right? It's it's always been up, and it over a long enough time period, sure. But if you remember the market, well, you may not remember. I don't remember because I wasn't alive. But from 1966 to 1982, the S and P 500 was essentially flat, right? So the market, the stock market, was essentially flat, had flat returns in the in the overall stock market. Now, it went up and down intra year and intra day, right? But over that time, you uh, you ostensibly made nothing in terms of price appreciation. And that's kind of our view on what we think, you know, most likely scenario, and now it could be wrong, but most likely scenario, the opportunities that we see are in generating yield or income off your portfolio rather than price appreciation. And that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, just means that you have to pivot and have that all weather portfolio that can ride that, you know, can ride that ride, right? Because it's going to be less of a roller coaster necessarily so much as, my view personally is that it's gonna be, you know, three steps forward, two steps back sort of situation, or or vice versa, right? And even if we're flat to a little bit down, where is the opportunity to make money, especially if you've planned in your financial plan to make, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent. Maybe that's in your plan. I don't know. A lot of the fidelity plans that I see, you know, where people do them themselves, and it's not fidelity, they just have a nice you know, plan that you can do yourself or any of those self-made plans when you put your money in. Not only is it a straight line of you know interest-bearing that they're looking at, but they're looking at projections that are much higher than you know possibly will be out there over the next five to 10 years. Now we don't know, right? But that's my view on the overall market, and that's what a question I get a lot is, what's going to happen now, right? Because you've seen to the start of the year, seen the market bounce pretty good, and over the last you know four or five months, it's done quite well. Does that mean that it's pricing in less, you know, fewer Fed rate hikes? Does it mean it's pricing in less of a recession? I don't know. Right? But the key is to have a plan that's going to fit and work no matter what. And I know I keep harping on that, having a plan, right? But then it makes it that much easier to sleep at night if you know that hey, my plan is prepared for this. Right? And my plan is prepared for that. My plan's pre- prepared to zig when the market's zagging and vice versa, right? Because we're not trying to time it because anybody that tells you that they can time the market and hit the bottom perfectly or the top perfectly is <laughs> I've said this before, they're either lying or they are uh what's the word I'm trying to look for there? They you know, illusions of grandeur is a phrase. It's not the right word, but that's kind of where you know where it is. If you if you have someone that tells you that they timed it perfectly, they're they're either lying or they're they're miss they're misspeaking. <laughs> they're misunderstanding how the overall stock market and everything works, right? But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have assets exposed to the market because, you know, in my view, again, I think you should. Depends on your, you know, individual situation. But you want to build in those options, right, that will work no matter what happens in the market. And, we're, you know, the one thing I can tell you for sure is we're in unprecedented times in terms of the market and the Fed An interest, right? The bond market right now is saying, hey, it's going to be a recession, but it's going to be a short time recession. But you could also argue that, hey, this yield curve being inverted means that a recession is imminent. You just don't know, right? And so the key is building out that plan that involves different ways to make. And honestly, the simplest way to do it is to save more, right? I've talked about this before, but I used to carry around with me I, you know, a a spread, an Excel spreadsheet that I had built out that, you know, that I laminated was kind of, it was pretty nice where it said, Hey, if I start saving from age 20 to age 30 and stop versus starting at age 30 and going all the way through age 65 till retirement and then stop all things being equal. Okay. Where you have the same rate of return in both the earlier bucket, this smaller contribution bucket. Now you've put in two and a half times more money in that second situation in terms of contributions, but because of compound interest. The first bucket has more money, right? And we've been in a situation where we haven't had any interest available to us for the last year, two years, you know, several years, really, right? Where banks aren't paying very well. CDs aren't paying very well. Now we're kind of in an environment where CDs are paying a little bit better. You're starting to see money market rates go up. You're starting to see rates that look like, you know, we're actually getting paid to have your money in a savings account, right? You're actually getting paid to save. Which is something we haven't seen in a while, but that all hopes that the Fed does what they say they're going to do. But I trust Jerome Powell about as far as I can throw him personally. Right now, no offense to him necessarily. So we'll we'll see what they do and what happens in the overall market. But the key is to is having that plan that's going to prepare you for whatever comes, right? And part of that is reviewing your current situation, reviewing your current allocations, reviewing your risk tolerance because this is maybe a good time to re-review your risk tolerance. I had a client, you know, a couple of years ago, he started working with me and said, "Hey, here's what my risk tolerance is." We went over, we went through a questionnaire, we, you know, did all the scenarios and decided this is how much, you know, how much tolerance for risk he had. And then COVID happened. Right? And even though I felt we had done a pretty good job sticking to that risk tolerance, and he did too, he decided he realized that maybe his risk tolerance wasn't as high as he thought it was. And if we are going to have a recession later this year, which again is my belief, does that mean another five to ten, fifteen percent drop in stocks? Could could mean more. Personally, that's kind of where I'm where I'm thinking it's going to be. You know, another ten or fifteen percent drop in stocks. That's kind of my thought. Could be wrong, but if you're in an account that's going to go down 15 or 20% more, is that too risky for you? Alternatively, what happens if the recession is super super shallow, right? We just hit the bottom and bounce again. Now, I don't think it's going to be a 2020 bounce because that was crazy. But if the market bounces again and the market's up 20% and you're only up 6, is that going to be an acceptable return for you because it's a trade-off, right? Now, I don't know, and I can't promise that, you know, we upside capture more than we downside capture any of that stuff. But the key is knowing where your guide rails are in your plan, and if you stay within those guide rails, that's really all that matters, isn't it? If if your expectation is that you should make X percent on the upside and only lose Y percent on the downside, as long as you stay somewhere in that range, that should be a pretty acceptable amount, I would think. So if you're interested in stress testing your portfolio, seeing where you're at and seeing, having us run some numbers and say, hypothetically, if... This recession that we have this year, if we have it this year, but if the recession that we have, when we have it is 2008 again, what is my portfolio currently constituted? What would that look like most likely, right? And then if alternatively, it's not a recession or it's not a bear market, it's a you know a raging bull market, what would my portfolio do in that situation most likely? And we can do that statistically within a 95% confidence ratio to show you it'll be somewhere in this range. Now, we're going to tell you exactly what it's going to do because nobody knows, We have a pretty good confidence ratio using math, using statistical analysis to show you what that might look like. And If you'd like to see that and how it fits in your overall plan for no cost, give us a call 503-253-3000 or visit www.pricefg.com. A member of our team, one of our advisors will sit down with you. They'll get to know you. They'll know your situation and then we can get to know where you're at stress test that portfolio and see if it is the right place, if it's allocated correctly in our view to get you where you want to go. And we do that complimentary for radio listeners. So give us a call, 503-253-3000. I'm going to take a break here and I'll be back with more Investing Simplified, talk a little bit about the housing market and kind of give you my Nostradamus outlook for that. This is Investing Simplified.
0: Leaving an employer can be stressful and overwhelming, but once the dust settles and you are at a new job or perhaps retired, it is important to consider your options for that retirement plan left behind. If this situation applies and you would like to hear more about options available for 401k, 403b, or other retirement account rollovers, please give our office a call at 503-253-3000 to schedule a complimentary consultation with someone on the team to go over your specific and individual situation. We will take the time to get to know you, your goals, and let you know what the best course of action is for you and your family.
1: We do invest. Investing
0: Simplified. You're listening to Investing Simplified.
1: Now, back to Bo Caldwell. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. Thanks for tuning in, and if you're just now joining us, I'm Bo Caldwell, CFP, the CEO here at Price Financial Group, and I really appreciate you tuning in and staying with us so far. As I know, sometimes when we get down into the nitty-gritty of the various, you know, options that are out there. It gets a little boring sometimes for folks. But I wanted to talk a little bit about housing and how that applies to what we've been talking about with the overall market and where we think things are going with the overall market. Again, it always comes with the caveat that we don't really know, right? We have a lot of information and we try to disseminate that to you our listeners uh in a way that is, you know, both uh digestible and palatable, but the thing is is we don't really know and anybody who tells you that they know what's going to happen whether it's the stock market the bond market the housing market which i'm going to talk about here they don't really know you know i use the old adage my mother used to say you know we'd say when we didn't know something we'd say the shadow knows and some of you folks may remember that uh, <laughs> that radio program that ran you know 50 60 years ago um, where the shadow knows and so that's kind of my phraseology that i use when people say hey what is the market going to do? And I say, you know, only the shadow knows. Because in reality, we can use our best guess estimates. We can use historical data. Um, we can use um, different data. And some of the data I'm going to show you, you know, talk to you about here, um, we can use that to make our best estimate. But we really don't know because the market is a free market. And it sets those rules over time, right? So I wanted to kind of read to you from uh, – a group that we utilize and that we like to follow—it's called First Trust Investments. They're out of Chicago, and their chief economist, Brian Westbury, who is um, their chief—you know, their chief economist—there has been right on a lot of things. He subscribes to maybe a different uh, way of thinking when it comes to some of the market outlooks and some of the things that you may hear on CNBC or Fox Business. When you hear those talking heads on Bloomberg tell you what they think is going to happen and what they know is going to happen. Generally speaking, they don't know, right? So we really, you know, get this question a lot because the biggest investment that most folks have, if they have it, you know, if they're invested is is their home, right? Your primary residence tends to be statistically your uh, biggest asset, right? And so question does come up a lot. Well, you know, with interest rates rising, right? We're rising interest rates um, with this, you know, reduction in the loose monetary policy, how is that going to affect our houses and you know if folks were homeowners you know from 2006 on basically they may have a little bit of PTSD from that time because the housing market contracted right back in 2006 2007 2008 right we had a 25% drop from 2006 to 2011 in in home prices and a lot of people lost their homes because of that you know subprime mortgage concept but the really, the nice thing to see is that maybe you know that won't happen necessarily because of a couple of factors, right? And I kind of want to you know read to you when we talk about you know according to Westbury, we've got you know the housing sector being a huge and early beneficiary of the super loose monetary policy, right? And you think that makes sense because think about if you recall when houses went on sale, even during the pandemic, right? They were selling like hotcakes, and you had to come. You know, for those of us here in the Portland area, right, you know we had a lot of loose money, a lot of people coming from, you know, the dreaded California, right, a lot of people coming from California, but coming from out of state and sight unseen bidding up those houses, you know, $50,000, $60,000 sometimes above asking, which is just crazy talk, right? And so if you think about, so there's a there's a National Case-Shiller Price Index and also the, the FHFA Price Index, both of those measure... Home prices, single family home prices, and from May twenty twenty until June twenty twenty two, which is kind of where we saw this interest rate tightening cycle start, right? From May twenty twenty to June twenty twenty two, both of them rose more than forty percent. So over a year and a half, an eighteen month period, basically. Well, I guess that's almost two years. I guess it's a two-year period. So over a two-year period, forty percent growth. That's twenty percent annualized, right? And you think back historically are kind of our thought process and what we've seen from you know housing growth is it's four to five percent right that's historically what it does so it went 40 percent over a two-year period that is crazy but since then right they have come both of those index have declined it the case Schiller came down two and a half percent or so and the FH FA is down a little over one and the biggest declines obviously you've seen those biggest declines in the along this west coast right they're in the big cities San Francisco Seattle Phoenix and such. Right. So those are big areas. But really, we've all seen reduction in prices and you can see it anecdotally around here. Right. If you've seen houses go up for sale, they're not selling as fast as they were. Now, we don't think that, you know, the drop in housing prices is done. Right. Because prices are still really high relative to rents and they need to fall more to kind of reflect that. Usually they move in tandem and they stay within a certain range of each other. But Westbury, who we follow, and I think is a very smart guy, right? He expects the total decline to be in the five to ten percent range, right? Which I, that's what I've been telling a lot of folks too. It's five to ten percent, right? Which is natural and is normalizing home prices. Not a twenty-five percent drop like we had back then. And why smaller? Because the average price, really, home prices are are closer to home value, or excuse me, to fair value, when measured against you know how much it costs to build a new home, right? there's not also not a excess inventory of homes, right? If you remember in 2007, 2008 area, there were so many homes for sale. All these houses were for sale, right? There still aren't that many houses for sale right now. The inventory is still relatively small. We went from having you know a couple of week inventory, which is really really small to a couple of months, right? So that's that is really helping to keep the you know the housing prices from dropping like a rock. The other thing to think about, right? Is that the selling of existing homes. And that's directly due to interest rates. Right? You can kind of think about it. You can it it'd be really hard to convince somebody to move, especially if you locked in, you know, a really good interest rate. If you locked in three, three and a half, four percent interest, which is still historically super low, right? It's gonna be hard to convince someone to go from a three percent mortgage to, you know, a six percent, an eight percent mortgage. And that's really what you've gotta do, right? You've gotta you really got to sell your home at a good interest rate and then go buy a new home at a at a poor rate right so we're going to we're really going to see you know we're going to see that contribute to homes not reducing in price as much as maybe we thought they would and really it also contributes because if you're trying to if you are going to convince them to move right they're going to want more for that house than most likely you're going to want to pay Okay, and then additionally, if you've got to pay, you know, six percent on a mortgage, you're going to have less money, most likely, to buy a house. So that those confluence of events there, where you've got buyers that don't want to pay as much, and sellers that definitely don't want to pay as much, right? Or excuse me, sellers that don't want to reduce their price; they want to get more for their money because they're going to have to go buy a new house. That you know that that makes it so we think prices will stay relatively high comparatively, right? The, you know, the other piece is that, you know, new home sales, right? That's talking about existing home sales. New home sales are down significantly too, right? And so we think that's going to bottom earlier though. And, you know, that's what Westbury says and I, you know, I really agree with. New home sales should find a bottom earlier because the seller in a new home sale is a contractor, right? It's not an existing home buyer. So really you've just got one edge of that, um, of that seesaw to deal with. So you've got contractors that want to sell, but construction costs are coming down, right? You've seen that. As we start to, you know, reduce inflation, we start to, you know, open up the supply chain pieces even more, right? So if input costs, the cost of building are a little bit lower. I mean, not substantially, but a little bit lower. And that contractor doesn't need to go out and buy a different place to live, right? They're not giving up a really great mortgage for a a poor one. That should see us having a little bit of a bottom sooner, and be my expectation. Again, take that with a grain of salt, always, right? I don't know. Again, goes back to my earlier point, the shadow knows, right? So you kind of add those things together. In in recessions, which we still believe that a recession is, you know, is coming this year. We've talked about it ad nauseum. I know that Matt and Matt have have discussed that as well. But in recessions, housing is is rarely a bright spot in a recession, right? So the our estimation is this this time will be no different in terms of how housing is going to do in a recession it should do poorly right we just don't think that it's going to do as poorly as the last big recession right which we all remember the last big recession being in that you know financial crisis time frame so i guess the gist of that is is you know in my estimation housing should be holding up a lot better this time around Than it did last time around in the big recession and might be, you know, depending on your situation could be something worth, you know, worth looking at. And, you know, the thing is we're not getting a lot of mortgage turnover. We're not getting a lot of refinances, not getting a lot of HELOCs. They are tightening the ability to get those mortgages because interest rates are so high. And so I think those pieces contribute to keeping it from being a huge fallout like it was. Now, that means you could, you know, potentially go out and look for vehicles that invest in those, in those pieces in, you know, residential real estate, it's really hard, you know, potentially as an individual investor to invest other than in your primary residence. So it may behoove you to explore, you know, funds. It could behoove you to explore funds and invest in that, in that space. I, like I said, I do think long-term housing should do fine just like stocks and bonds. And that's, again, just my opinion. Everything involves risk that, right. There's no guarantee that it won't, Go down, but our in our estimation, our belief, which could be wrong, is that we're not going to have a huge downswing in the housing market you know, when the recession inevitably comes. Again, we think the recession is is due sometime this year. Um, I you know I think by the end of the end of 2023 we should have seen you know that recession and some you know some of it's priced in. So we discussed some of it's not. So we'll have to see where it goes. But if you have a question about your primary residence, about your real estate, or just about real estate investing in general, and you'd like to sit down and see how your individual situation applies, give us a call, 503-253-3000. We can talk to you about investment property. You can talk to you about your primary residence, your mortgage, how that all fits into your overall holistic plan. 503-253-3000, or visit us at www.pricefg.com. We'll be right back with more Investing Simplified.
0: When planning for income in retirement, there's a lot to consider between managing the budget that fits the family, trying to figure out from where to draw your income, or balancing the tax ramifications of withdrawals. Moving into retirement can be overwhelming. At Price Financial Group, we help clients work to create a sustainable retirement roadmap, addressing these concerns and more, and helping folks feel confident in their future retirement income right when they need it most. If you'd like a financial plan tailored just for you, please don't hesitate and call our office today at 503 253 3000. 503 253 3000 to set up your complimentary consultation. Price Financial Group offers investment advisory services through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisory firm. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to
1: Bo Caldwell. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. If you're just now joining us, thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, my name is Bo Caldwell, CFP. I'm the CEO here at Price Financial Group. and wanted to remind you, I know we bumper it before uh, the break, but if you'd like to sit down with a member of our team for a complimentary review, give us a call at 503-253-3000 or visit www.pricefg.com. We'll give you an in-depth look at your entire financial picture, we'll stress test your portfolio, we'll analyze your fees that you're paying, make sure you're not paying too much in fees. We'll look at the tax ramifications of your portfolio and help build you out a plan that we feel can get you to your financial goals. And we do that as a complimentary service for all of our radio listeners. So give us a shout if you'd like to sit down. We're happy to meet you in Vancouver, Clackamas, Beaverton, or our Tigered offices. We got them conveniently located all around the Portland metro area. We have it surrounded, as it were. Also, I haven't had Rebecca on here in a while, but if you have, if you are turning 65 anytime soon, um, or you have a friend or family member that's turning 65, or you have a question about health insurance in general, give us a shout. Rebecca LaVinci on our team takes care of all things health and Medicare insurance related at no cost to you. So give us a shout if you'd like to sit down and go over that. We'd love to help you. And we're here local in the Portland area. So I finished the last segment talking about the housing market and kind of our outlook on the market and in terms of your personal residence. But a lot of times people have in, you know, investment properties, or maybe it's a personal residence that you have, that you've had for 40 or 50 years. And so it's severely appreciated as it were. So as a reminder If you own the home and it's your personal residence, you have a $250,000 exclusion on the capital gain, meaning that up to the first $250,000 that your home has appreciated since you bought it, and when you sell it, you will not owe taxes either to the state of Oregon or to the federal government up to that $250,000 mark. And it's doubled if you are married. So you and your spouse each have $250,000, so effectively, you can exclude up to five hundred thousand dollars of gain in your house, and that's not the sale price right as we talked about home prices being you know up there and you know especially if you live in a a big house or have a big yard or in a you know a, a, in an area that has appreciated a lot, but so up to five hundred thousand dollars of gain, so that would mean that you have to have bought it for a hundred sold it for six hundred that's five hundred thousand dollar gain, not a five hundred thousand dollar sale right not a, not the top line. Price of the home, right? So you've got $500,000 of exclusion, but what if it's an investment property, a rental property? What if it's appreciated more than the $500,000? Now we're talking about having large capital gains. We've got this appreciated asset. How do you, and I don't want to say avoid it because you cannot avoid taxes, right? Tax avoidance is illegal, right? Unfortunately, as I said, you know earlier, the only things that we, you know, we feel are guaranteed in this life are death and taxes, right? So you can't avoid taxes, but you can defer taxes. You can avoid paying more taxes than you should, right? Avoid, you know, hitting some tax traps. And with appreciated assets, those tend to happen. And most of most of us think about that in a home, but it could also be if you have a business. Right? You have been a, a successful dentist for you know thirty five years, and now you're looking to sell your practice, or you're a veterinarian that has you know maybe a, a bigger group came in and bought out your small vet practice, and now you're getting a distribution of your ownership shares, even though you're still working and if you're a vet or a dentist that's successful, you probably have pretty high income or any other situation where you're divested of a particular asset, but you make good money now, what happens then, right? The capital gain can not only cause you just capital gains taxes, which are reasonably priced right now at the federal level, but in the state of Oregon, it's just ordinary income. So if you have a capital gain, there is no better rate, it's ordinary income. Now, you know, maxes out at like what? 9.9%. So I guess it's not that much, but it's still money. Right. And then the things to keep in mind, mo- keep in mind, if you have those appreciated assets and you're thinking about selling them and you are Medicare aged and you go above a certain limit, you're going to be hit with Medicare increases on your Medicare costs. And the thing is that happens two years later from when your capital gain is. So how do we adjust that? How do we plan for that? Well, there are a couple of good options potentially might fit your situation. And I've got to put the caveat on there that always speak to a tax professional, speak to an estate planning professional, speak to your financial professionals before implementing any of this because everyone's situation is different. But potentially, if you have a severely appreciated asset, what if I told you that there was a way to distribute that asset, distribute those gains, spread it out over time to potentially keep you underneath that limit, right, that gets you the IRMA limits, that gets you into the next tax bracket, that all the big negatives that come, but you could divest that asset now while taxes are still relatively low. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know which way you lean, in the political spectrum, but I believe personally, my belief is that taxes are not going to be lower than they are now, right? 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, I think that they're at a low rate and one of the lowest rates that it's going to be possibly ever. I don't know if that's really true, but I just can't see a situation where tax rates are lower than where they are now. We've got too much money that the government has spent over the last few years. We've got too many, you know, too many, uh, Call them entitlements. You got too many, you know, things that we're, we've promised money, and we got to pay for it. And how do we pay for that? How does the government traditionally pay for that? That's with taxes on you and me. So there are a couple of different ways that we can avoid paying more than we should in taxes, or we can defer the taxes, or we can reduce the amount of tax liability that we have on those appreciated assets. Now, the caveat here is this is not. Ta- I'm not talking about stock that you've owned in your Ira through the last 40 years, because you can't, sadly cannot avoid paying taxes on the IRA when you pull it out because it's tax deferred so far. And I'll talk later about some plans that you can start to look at for 2023. If you have big money in those tax deferred accounts, your IRA, your 401k, your 403b, I'm talking right now about assets that are held outside those retirement plans, which includes, you know, real estate, Includes stocks or bonds that have been, that are severely appreciated. Probably not bonds, right? Because they don't appreciate that much. But stocks that you have that you've maybe had for a ton of time and have appreciated a lot. And what if you've got, you know, maybe you inherited some stock from grandma, right? And didn't really think about it, didn't touch it, and it's grown. Or maybe you bought Microsoft back in the 80s and just kind of set and forget. It's been at computer share. And, oh, my goodness, it's worth a lot now. First of all, good for you. But second of all, what happens when you get to that point where you have to sell that? Or maybe you have a business that owns a building and owns the land that the business is on, right? And now you're looking to divest yourself because you're ready to retire. But what's your basis in that business? A lot For a lot of us, the basis is relatively small, right? Because you started with smaller investments and then it's grown and you've probably pulled the earnings out over time. And now there's not a whole lot of basis in there. So if you've got a million dollar, two million dollar sale... That's a lot of capital gains tax, right? So, what if I told you there is a way to defer that potentially for a significant amount of time, or to divest yourself of that without having to pay taxes if you p- use strategy well to pass it on to your heirs? It'd be something you'd be interested in, right? Sounds pretty good. There are various vehicles that are out there, and I'd like to talk today about a charitable remainder trust. That's you know, it's my one of the things that I like the most in our tax code because i happen to be very charitably inclined myself and no judgment if if folks aren't but to set up a charitable remainder trust a lot of people don't think about that because you can get a tax deduction now for the appreciated asset and at the appreciated value potentially if you do it right right you have to leave a certain amount to charity but if you build the plan out right you can d- make sure you get all the money out or you or your heirs right all the money out of this asset that you have let appreciate over time and spread the tax bill out 5, 10, 15, 20 years so that way you don't have to pay all the capital gains tax right now, don't have to run into all those issues that we talked about, okay? And then you can use that money to also do some good. And the nice thing about you know the, the current tax law right now is that with a charitable remainder trust, you don't necessarily have to decide on the charity because that's the question I've gotten from a few folks. Well, what if I don't know what charity I want to give the money to the really cool thing is you can use what's called a donor advised fund, right? So a donor advised fund lets you decide the charity and you can decide it over time. You make the charitable contribution now and then decide over time how to dole it out to different charities. It's a really nice feature that's available to folks that are charitably inclined. Now, a lot of folks know I am going to give it to my church. I'm going to give it to the Boy Scouts. i to whatever, right? It's, I'm not here to tell you what to gift it to if you are thinking about being charitably inclined. My job is to analyze the best ways to divest yourself of those assets of that money and try to keep the tax man's fingers out of it if we can. And I should be not gender specific, the tax woman too. you know, Anybody that wants to take my hard-earned dollars in taxes, I don't want to do it. So the nice thing is there are strategies, and this is just one. There are lots of strategies to utilize. But it's what I like because I particularly like that idea of, hey, there's a remainder that goes to charity and charity gets to participate too. The really cool thing is you can also build it so that potentially not only do you get to divest, we'll use that million dollar, you will say that business I sold for a million dollar capital gain, not only do I get to get, spread that capital gain out over time so I don't have a million dollars of taxable gain income this year, but I can leave some to charity, but also potentially if we do it right, there is the very real potential that not only do I get at least as much as I put in there, I could get more and not have to pay the extra tax on it. So if I could show you a plan that potentially could do that, would that be something you're interested in, right? Now, it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't fit everyone's particular situation. And again, like I've said millions of times, there's no guarantees. We can build out a guaranteed plan that gets you out at least as much as you put in and spend you know splits the money over time. But to guarantee that it'll be more is not a thing. But it might. And if that's even a possibility that, hey, we're going to get at least as much as we put into this thing, potentially more might be worth it right it might be worth it to save some money on you know save some money on your taxes to to get rid of this building to get rid of this uh business you know that you've loved and you've had for 20 30 years but you don't you've been holding on to it maybe because you know taxes are going to be so high right that's what a lot of people have done if you or someone you programs, know right? is Even 65 or older now is, is the time to talk about medicare options months.
0: Medicare is an integral part of your financial picture, but there are so many options it can be confusing and overwhelming. Price Financial Group has recently introduced an experienced Medicare specialist who can provide you with a complimentary complimentary consultation consultation to cut through the noise and ensure your Medicare needs are aligned with your overall plan. We have offices conveniently located in the metro area, and working with our Medicare specialist won't cost you anything except a bit of your time time. Might
1: make sense for you, might call 503-253-3000 or visit pricefg.com to schedule your complimentary 303-253-253. consultation we'll right back today. With more Investing Simplified.
0: You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to Bo Caldwell.
1: And we're back for the last segment here on Investing Simplified. If you stuck with me this far, thank you for listening to me drone on about things that excite me and hopefully at least some of the pieces are applicable to your situation or maybe answered a question that you might have as a reminder if you have a question something that's been bugging you about your financial world whether that's you know your finances your estate planning your tax planning any of those items and you'd like us to cover it on the show anonymously send that to askbo a-s-k-b-o at pricefg.com we'd love to you know Answer that question if it's been bugging you. If there's a question you have, I you know, one of the things I feel very strongly about is somebody else has been wondering that question and might just be afraid to ask it. So send that to askbo at pricefg.com. And we'll get, if we don't know the answer, we will ask and find out the answer for you. But it's something we like to do to answer here on, on the show. So I, I was talking last segment about being able to divest of your Investable assets, or maybe a business, or you know something that's appreciated a significant amount, and saving some money at the tax, you know, at, at tax time, making sure that we're not selling it. Now, the one caveat that I will put that I did not say is I personally don't believe it's ever the right decision, you know, investment decision, just because of the taxes, right? Personally, in my experience, it has not been the right call to do. Something just because of the tax ramifications. So if you like the stock that you own, or like the business, or the or the building, and you want to keep owning it, but you're thinking about getting rid of it just because of the tax implications, I don't know that that you know is the right call. It could be, but in my experience, it, it, it generally isn't, right? But if you're looking to divest of those and take advantage of the tax opportunities, then yeah, give us a shout. But what about, you know, you're listening and say, hey, well, that's great but i don't have 2 million dollars in stock that's appreciated but i do have 2 million dollars in my ira and this we we come across this situation a lot more frequently than you might imagine where folks have done a you know just a spectacular job of saving they've saved their money in this retirement plan whether it's an ira or a 401k or a 403b they listened to my you know maybe not my advice but an earlier iteration and started saving at age 20 and saved it up right so they've got all this money in their ira And now they're approaching the age where you have to take required minimum distributions. By the way, those are now set at age 73 based on Secure Act 2.0. So no longer age 72, but age 73. So that's specific to your situation because if you turned the ages of the RMD before they changed the laws, you still got them, right? But if you have an IRA that you've saved a bunch of money in and you're going to have to take distributions, but if that's all you're going to take Right. We, and you know, a lot of folks, you know, if you've done a really good job of saving and maybe you have a pension or maybe you have just other income, rental income or other income coming in, add that to Social Security and, hey, we're doing pretty good. Right. We've added all that up and said, okay, we're doing pretty good. We are covered in that, you know, in that respect. We don't need to take money out of our IRA. And there are more people than you'd think that have done this. Right. Sadly, in the country, there's more people that don't have enough saved. But for those of you that have done this, for me, it seems like a ticking tax, you know t- ticking tax time bomb. I, that's difficult to say. but eventually you're gonna have to take the money out or your beneficiaries are going to have to take the money out, right? And if you leave that IRA to your beneficiaries, they don't only have to take the money out. It is no longer a stretch over their lifetime option. That isn't an option anymore. It is within 10 years they got to take all that money out. So unless they have a year where they know they're going to make no income, they're going to have a pretty high tax bill on getting that money out. And even if they're at a relatively low tax rate, if they're in the state of Oregon and they're only in a 20% federal and maybe 8% state, that means that they're going to lose 30% almost, right? 28%, but almost a third, more than a quarter, almost a third. So if you leave them a million-dollar IRA, really that's seven hundred fifty down to maybe $660,000 that they're going to actually get to see from that million dollars. That's crazy, right? That is crazy that the government gets to take that amount of money. So some planning ahead of time can really help you with that tax burden, right? And there's a couple different ways that we have utilized for clients to do that. One situation that you know this case study that I like to talk about is we set got you know gentleman who'd saved up a lot of money in his IRA. Okay. He's got a lot of money saved up. Didn't need to t- to touch that money. Didn't want to touch that money. The goal was to leave it to his kids. That was, Hey, we're going bi- to I'm built this up and this is my legacy that I'm leaving to my kids, which is amazing. We'd worked on, Hey, here's some gifting strategies to get the money, uh, other money out of his estate. But he wants to leave that IRA money to his kids. Right? Say so, hey, that IRA money is going to leave you, leave this money to your kids. He's got a significant amount in there, but his kids are high earning professionals. Right? And, not that he's, you know, planning on passing away anytime soon. And actually, he's really healthy. This is what, you know, that helped us get there. But what we did was instead of leaving the IRA to his kids, we said, okay, well, you've got grandkids too, right? I said, yeah, yeah, I got grandkids. Okay. Okay. So what if we could leave the IRA to your grandkids who are most likely going to have less income, right? Same rules apply, right? Where we have to take the money out over 10 years. But if their income is significantly less, their tax bill is going to be a little lower. And he said, well, I like that idea, but I, I don't want to you know cut my kids out of it. So that's the beautiful part of it, right? So we don't have to cut the kids out of it. We can take care of the grandkids and take care of the next generation. So what we did, and this is giving away the secret sauce, right? People are going to say, well, why don't you leave a cliffhanger and say, come in and see me, and I'll tell you how it goes. Because that's not what we do here, right? We like to give you the info. And if it makes sense and you want to see if that, if that makes sense for your situation, give us a shout. But so what we did was we took, went out and bought life insurance for this gentleman, right? Said, bought a life insurance on your life, and we're going to name your your kids the beneficiaries of that life insurance. And we're going to name the grandkids the beneficiaries of the IRA. And how did we fund it? We funded it with IRA RMDs, right? We funded it with distributions that he was going to have to take from the IRA anyway, right? So he's going to take money from the IRA pay those life insurance premiums, going to leave the life insurance to his kids. So when he does pass away, which I really hope is not anytime soon, right? But when he does pass away, which we're all going to do, now his kids get an amount of life insurance equal to what the IRA was, right? So they were going to get the IRA dollars, but it was going to be taxable, remember? Because when they pulled the money out, they're going to have to pay taxes on it. So they're going to get the IRA dollars, but it's going to be tax free because they're getting a life insurance settlement, and life insurance, if used properly, is a tax free distribution when you when you pass away, the death benefit. So they're going to get the same amount of money that they were going to get before, except it's going to be tax free. And now the grandkids are going to get to inherit that IRA. And I don't know what the law is going to be at that point. I mean, you know, maybe they repeal the Secure Act and go back to lifetime RMDs. I don't know. But at this point, at this particular point in the planning process those kids, those grandkids are going to get to take that money out and they can take it out over 10 years. But if they're not making nearly as much money, right, then it's going to be a much better tax situation. So, you know, when I ask you if you want to pay taxes on that IRA at your tax rate right now, no, you don't want to pull it all out because that's the other argument. Well, why doesn't he just convert it all to Roth? Well, because that's a giant tax hit now and hit, you know, at his tax rate. Okay. Or you leave it to the to the, your kids and they're going to have to take it out at their tax rate, which is quite high. Or maybe you leave it to grandkids who at the time might be in college, might not have any income and they can dole it out properly if they work with a team like ours, that maybe they don't pay any income tax on it. Right? So that's a situation that is his particular situation. Okay. But we were able to take that money that he had set aside in his nest egg and we were able to carve the, carve the government out of it. And even if the kids, the grandkids got to pay right? They got to pay some taxes on it. So let's say that in that, we re- referenced the situation before where it was 28%, right? And that's the, the his particular kids are a much higher bracket than that. But let's say we're at the 28%, you know, combined bracket. Let's even say that we're at the 28% combined bracket for the grandkids. It doesn't really matter, right? Cause we, they have to give up. Yeah. The million dollars becomes only becomes 70, you know, $720,000 to the grandkids in that same situation using the same math. Right. But His kids get a million dollars tax-free if we're talking about a million dollar IRA, right? So kids get a million dollars tax-free. So instead of that million dollar IRA becoming $720,000 when he left it to his kids, and again, I'm just using easy math. This is not the exact numbers (laughs) that this gentleman had, but just easy math. Instead of the million dollars becoming $720,000 to his kids when they invested it, the million dollars became one7 purely by the fact that we used life insurance based on him being healthy. Now, granted, you got to be healthy, but we just took that million dollars that was going to be 720 and made it 1.7 and spread it across two generations. Can you imagine the legacy that this man now gets to leave with the same money? Now, again, this is his particular situation and he's very blessed to not have to take those, you know, not have to use the RMDs, but you have to take them. Government makes you. So if you're going to take those RMDs, Let's turn that money from, again, a million dollars that becomes taxable. It's now it's 720 to your kids. Why not make it 1.7 and spread it across two generations? And that has nothing to do with what we're investing in it either, folks. That's the thing. We keep it in cash, right? I'm not promising any sort of returns, talking about how we're going to get returns on the money. No, it's return of my money, right? I think I don't remember who that quote is attributed to, but I'm less concerned about the return on my money as I am about the return of my money. Right. And this is the type of ta- you know, advanced planning situation, the advanced planning work that we do for our clients all the time. Right? This is what you get when you work with a financial team like ours, is the potential to turn a million dollars into one point seven. Two-thirds of it tax-free. That's crazy talk, right? Except it is it isn't, because that's the situation that we're in with him. Now it could it may not work for your situation, and again. There is risk of loss in all investments. I always have to put all this, you know, the, the stuff out there for compliance folks who are listening. But if you're interested in that, if you've got a severely appreciated IRA or severely appreciated 401k and you're not planning on doing anything with it, the plan is to leave it to your heirs. That is great. Good for you. And good for you that you want to leave that legacy. Wouldn't it be great if we could maximize that legacy? And don't you know? Don't get hot, caught up on that. Oh, I don't have grandkids. Well, sure. Let's let's instead of naming grandkids the beneficiary of it, let's name a charity, and still get the tax free you know tax free money to your kids. Could you utilize the CRT like we used before if you have you know um, the charitable remainder trust. If you have outside of the IRA assets, we can we will explore you know Roth conversions. Does that make sense for you? It might. It might not. But if you don't know, and if you don't know what the options are then you're not setting yourself up for success, right? So give us a call, 503-253-3000, or visit www.pricefg.com. We'd be happy to sit down for a complimentary consultation. We'll run you through our proprietary process, right? Here's what we do. Here's what we're looking at. Here's all the things that we're planning for and see if we're the right firm for you. And we may not be. We are not the right firm for everybody. But wouldn't it be worth maybe an hour of your time To sit down and find out. So give us a call, 503-253-3000. If you have a question, something you'd like us to talk about on the show, send it to askbo at pricefg.com. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm so glad to be back. We will talk to you next week. God bless you all. Be safe out there. This has been Investing City. Price Financial Group Wealth Management
0: Brew, wealth management. The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services is offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Financial Group, Wealth Management, Price Financial Group, Wealth
1: Management, We Do Investing Simplified.